And now it's Simpsons time. And welcome to Simpsons time, everybody. A feature of Nazario scenario during which I talk for hopefully not an annoying length of time about a certain Simpsons episode that is always different each time I do it. Tonight I'm going to talk about Bart Gets Famous, which is a really amazing show. It was uh, the first directing effort by Susie Dieter, the first one that she out and out directed. And it is an amazing script by John Swartzwelder, and uh, it stars doesn't star, but it features Conan O'Brien in uh, a guest spot playing himself. Uh, and that was interesting because it was written, the part was written for him before he actually got his TV show. And it was definitely a leap of faith um, on the part of his colleagues, you know, the other Simpsons writers for Conan was indeed a Simpsons writer um, you know just writing him into the show as a talk show host um, when in fact he had not even gotten the job this is one of those shows that is a commentary on uh, shows that are commentaries I should say on the nature of The Simpsons itself. Um, and they, for the most part, shows like that are done very deftly, and this one is no exception. Um, there's a little bit of heavy-handedness at the very end where everybody says their catchphrases. Uh, because they, it, it's sort of like it can't be helped to make an exaggerated nod to... Uh, a breaking of the fourth wall or, you know, a nod to the fact that it is a show uh, at the very end of a show that's that up until that point has not blatantly been about the show itself, uh, but rather subtly refers to it. Um, this, of course, is the show where Bart becomes the I didn't do it boy after wandering onto the Krusty Lou Studios lot. Uh, and he becomes Krusty's gopher, which he doesn't like. And then um, he accidentally, again, wanders onto a set. No, that's not accidental. It's accidental that he ruins the set. It was uh, planned for him to be in the sketch, albeit at the last minute. 
Um, and because of that fluke of him ruining the set of the sketch uh, on the Krusty the Clown show, he becomes famous. Uh, and the fame does not last long. This is definitely a commentary on Bart being a flash in the pan, or The Simpsons being a flash in the pan. But until it's all over, he has uh, some wild thrills, including a guest spot on The Conan O'Brien Show, which I would be thrilled to be on. Make no mistake. So, here's a rundown of exactly what happens. The kids go on a field trip, and Bart gloats to Lisa. And Lisa, in a very funny little dream sequence, Flight of Fancy, daydreams about being, like a worldwide hero and Pulitzer Prize winner and person who cures all disease. While adult Bart is uh, on his knees scrubbing all of her awards. And um, he eventually is killed <laughs> in the life of her. That one fantasy, Bart is killed by being impaled on one of her awards. Anyway, I shouldn't have dwelt on just that one little joke. Although, this is season five. It's a very um, jam-packed with jokes season, and every episode has a lot of little things like that. We learn that the field trip is not to anywhere exciting, but instead to the box factory. And I have to say this is... My favorite part of this episode is all of the stuff that happens at the box factory. It is so well done. Uh, the, that poor, um, dull guy with the brown suit voiced by Dan Castellaneta, who is, by the way, doing a Bob Elliott impression, um, is just so, like, he's so funny in his dullness. He gives them, he leads them uh, across a little yellow line drawn around his desk. <laughs> and reveals to the children that the <laughs> they can't even see a finished box on this tour of the box factory. They're assembled in Flint, Michigan. <laughs> um... I guess, yeah. After they come off the assembly line, partially assembled. In Springfield, then they are shipped off to Flint, Michigan to be completed. And we love, we love, by the way, the delight of Skinner and Martin, who, like, are buddies 
on that field trip who both are like so excited to go to the box factory. Contrasted with how bored Bart and Edna Krabappel are. There's a great shot of them on the school bus uh, where Skinner and Martin are singing about the boxes, like they're singing 99 bottles of boxes of beer on the wall. Uh, and it pans across very slightly to Mrs. Krabappel, and you just see how mad she is. Um, and it's the camera stays there just a little too long. Anyway, Bart sneaks away, because who wouldn't from such a dull field trip? To the studio where they film Krusty the Clown and other non-box-related programming. He steals a Danish from Kent Brockman and gives it to Krusty. And uh, the rest is history. All the stuff that I talked about a little while ago happens. What I love about this show is the times that they get the, those small uh, absurdist non-linear jokes that have nothing to do with the action of the show or the narrative of the show absolutely right on the nose uh, Lisa's dream sequence is one and I mean I would kick myself if I didn't mention Homer uh running to the phone in the power plant having come out of the shower and saying you'll have to speak up I'm wearing a towel that is may like one of the top 10 funniest moments in all of Simpsons and it is so great it's so well done they're looking for Bart and they have to call his parents Marge misses the phone at home because she was in the shower and then they're like okay we'll call his dad the phone of the power plant rings, and it's the exact same type of shot. Homer runs into the shot, wearing a towel. We don't know why he was in the shower at work. It doesn't matter. What I dislike about this show is the uh, Bumblebee Man stuff. Uh, when he breaks character... And just for this one show, they try him as being not Bumblebee Man in real life. Like when uh, he has to read his line differently, he has a, like a weird sort of toffee-nosed English accent. Um, and he also replaces the grumpy Kent Brockman, who doesn't want to do the news without his Danish. So he starts reading the news in that same English accent voice. I don't dig that. I think that is... Uh, I mean, whatever, they are trying on new things for Bumblebee Man, who is a very new character at that point. But I thought that was a misstep, and that was an example of when the sort of zany jokes in The Simpsons go a little too far. But other than that, I really love this show, as, as I think most Simpsons fans do. It's one of the greatest ones. 
the uh, I didn't do it record that he cuts that is supposed to sound just like the MC Hammer song is very funny. Uh, <laughs> and the little pose of him with the headphones on grooving to the lyrics that are just I didn't do it over and over again. I guess I should mention that I didn't do it is the phrase that he says after he ruins the set that one time. And everyone loves it. And so he has to keep saying it over and over and over again. Um, yeah, the funniest moment is Homer wearing a towel. The second funniest moment in the entire show is uh, that shot of all of the kids and Mrs. K uh, all sort of getting in Bart's face with giant grins waiting with rapt attention in anticipation for him to say I didn't do it. That is a beautiful shot. And it just makes me laugh every time I see it. Another thing, not the funniest or the second funniest, but Another extremely funny, to my mind, moment, and the last thing I'll say in this particular Simpsons time, is Homer's after-school job when he was a kid. And I guess I will leave you with that. Homer was Archie Bell, and he was also the Drells. And this was how they tightened up. Thank you for listening to Simpsons Time. Hi, everybody. I'm Archie Bell with the Thrills of Houston, Texas. We don't only sing, but we dance just as good as we want. In Houston, we just started a new dance called the Tighten Up. And as I talk over poor Archie Bell, that will conclude our discussion of Bart Gets Famous, lovely gem of an episode from season five. Uh, something else that I didn't mention the first time that I love is uh, all the poses on Krusty. Um, the sort of hyperbolically uh, funny because it's trying to be funny gesticulating that he does is particularly good in this episode. Um, you know, when, when Krusty is on stage, he somehow contorts a lot more than uh, his considerably more subdued self when he's walking around in real life. Uh, I should also mention that I Didn't Do It comes from an earlier show. There was a moment when um, Homer is instructing Bart to say I didn't do it and it was like that when I got there, um, you know, as a means of parenting properly. All right, stay tuned now for a bonus discussion of Homer's Phobia starring listener Sugar Wolf and myself.
It's going to be awesome. I'm here with listener Zoe, a.k.a. Sugar Wolf. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. This is um, a really exciting auxiliary interview um, of the type that we sometimes do here on Simpsons Time Through the Debakulator. Um, because a lot of my friends love to talk about Simpsons, obviously, but there are particular subjects and particular shows that are near and dear to them. Um, and the show we're going to talk about today is Homer's Phobia. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites, so I'm glad that you have selected it. Um, I don't know. What do you love about it? What's your... um, I, I mean, I remember when it first aired and being excited for it. Yeah. You know, as John Waters fan, hadn't seen whole bunch of his movies by then just a, like just hairspray and crybaby uh -huh. i hadn't even seen pink flamingos yet i thought after well, you were probably you know young uh, on the I young in, side well, right i was in college <laughs> oh okay mm -hmm. so that was our sunday ritual was you know simpsons king of the hill x-files yep very similar to my <laughs> college ritual very similar and uh the reruns in syndication on channel five that would you know, every year, half a year, it would change. Sometimes, you know, at five, at six, yes. you know, we'd arrange <laughs> when to go to dinner. Yep. To get <laughs> to get back to our house to watch. That yeah, that really kept all of us fans going for such a long time. That weird little pocket of Simpsons reruns. I actually knew a bar that would show would t turn the volume way up and show The Simpsons whenever it was on, like during happy hour, which. Ah, those days are gone, but there's other ways, yeah, so was, mercifully, of seeing it. That was 20 years ago, <laughs> Genesis Hair. <laughs> it's weird to think that we were in college 20 years ago. Um, yeah, I uh, I remember when it first aired, too, and being really impressed, you know, with its treatment of homosexuality. You know, just f a frank treatment um, that was funny without being mocking, you know, of people's lifestyles uh, who were different. I don't think they had any gay staff members, you know, unless I am mistaken. I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. But, and even the kind of the more stereotypical one, I'm thinking of like the guys in the steel mill, but it was still positive to them and they're portrayed more positively than yes. <laughs> the regulars. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, the people who really take the fall are, uh, who are the, shown to be having the they're the ones with the bad attitudes and Absolutely, the, the, the ones in the wrong yeah um our as you said before we started recording um the people who were supposed to be the male role models for the town or at least for bart you know um mo barney and homer uh who really you know talk about yeah not good life choices <laughs> they've made them all um yeah it's i i really 
love John Waters as well. And I, uh, at that point, mm-hmm. I guess I had only seen Hairspray, but it, would, it like had been a sensation among my friends when I was like a preteen, you know, when it came out. I had his two of his books, uh-huh. that one. So I was most familiar with his writings rather more than his movies. So oh, cool. I was getting, you know, an idea of his sensibility and... It comes across a little bit, I think, in the in the show. It does, yeah. yeah. They they seem to have been fans of him themselves, you know, because they were able to create a character that was a little like him. Um, but also, his performance was just so amazing. The kitsch element of it uh, is kind of funny to look on twenty years later because this idea of uh, sort of cis male white queerness is uh is starting to be a little dated uh I I would say do you agree like uh, a little bit and they're also kind of a I don't know if it's pre-stonewall mentality like thing about like you know like campy things yeah it's kind of a more you know is they're more younger and younger people and plus people more out so a lot of ca- what, like camp sensibility, like you know, the different artists and yeah. music and authors that you would read is kind of a code. Yes, like, yes. I mean, not that you don't need it now, but since people are more open, it doesn't not as hidden. Yes, it's not as hidden, hidden and in it's much sight. more. It's more. It's oh. much more diverse mm-hmm. too. Yeah, um, and I think I still applaud what they did you know with the character and with all of these ideas of queerness because they were working with the sort of Hollywood sensibility um, of camp and you know of what uh, people in the mainstream would see yeah and calling it a code I think is really insightful because yeah that's uh, there are certain things that in a mainstream TV show would be like kind of a wink to the audience about like, okay, this character is gay. And uh, with Smithers, they do that. Uh, or And they, up to that point, had done that a lot. Um, you know, saying things like, you know, photos are not allowed at this resort. And uh, like when I go to the ballet, I like to see mincing. And, you know, <laughs> so uh, there are many. It's a little more explicit yeah. in this episode yes, with his yeah. interaction with yeah. John. Yeah, I mean, they really, they, they push it pretty much as far as they can go. Um, yeah. I was listening to the uh, audio commentary when I rewatched the DVDs. And oh, they're cool. saying that um, with, like, standards and practices and the censors, and normally we only get, like, a few sentences, and this, for this episode, they got two whole pages. And <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like, basically saying that they could not air the episode as written, but somehow yeah, they... but they, they, I guess, in, you know, in other episodes, they just ignore it, because things change over the course of the production. And so, I guess, over the course of this episode, there are new people running Fox and company, so by the time it aired, they're like, yeah, it's cool, whatever. Yeah, so. yeah, and that was just such a godsend for that to have happened. Um, yeah, people might or might not know this, but from, like, the finishing of an episode to the time that it airs, it's usually about a year. Um, so, yeah, a lot can happen as far as... 
network management <laughs> in that time. There's only like two things I feel are like super saucy or raunchy and everything they're just objecting to is just that it's gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right, exactly. So what were the raunchy things? Um, well, the one is when John is gossiping with Marge about Helen Lovejoy with <laughs> the cuffs don't match the collar. Which is not even gay. That's just, That's some, just yeah. It's like talking about pubic hair <laughs> could be any Anybody. sexual orientation. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Marge says, I don't, I don't know what you mean, but I like talking about it. <laughs> and the other one was the steam, steel mill turns into a club called The Anvil, which was a raunchy gay club in New York a back in the day. Yes, a, a reference that relatively few people watching The Simpsons would get, but the ones who did would probably... like, oh, think. Anvil, Steel Mill, it makes sense. <laughs> right? Well. <laughs> <laughs> we work hard, we play hard. Um, I, everything about that sequence is just lovely to me. I love that uh, the one guy dancing in front of a giant fan, um, which is taken from that music video, right? Of CNC Music Factory? I think so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and but of course, like what better venue for there to be a fan like that <laughs> than a steel mill? So and awesome. also the whole scene, like you know, pointing out Flan like Homer's thinking like, oh, it's a bunch of men being masculine. They're not gay. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're just being extremely masculine in each other's company. Sweaty. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like the one guy in the. Uh, underwear <laughs> like comes in he's like hot stuff coming through he's carrying like a giant barrel molten of, of molten stuff <laughs> metal yeah totally awesome uh yeah and i mean the whole there's so much uh comedic fertile ground with all of the things that uh that are for sale in john's shop um the marge's liquor bottle you know, is sort of the first one. And uh, I like that, you know, his, him sort of giggling <laughs> over the secret drinking problem <laughs> of, of Marge's grandmother. Um, but yeah, like, the, you know, the sort of uh, annual gift man and uh, all of the funny toys and his... And I'm also thinking about how when he goes to that house and it's just this treasure trove of camp and that's just the way they live... Because they're kind of a throwback to mainstream middle America white culture of the 50s and 60s and early 70s. Absolutely. Which, you know, people probably aren't doing that now. Ironically, like her little, her little happy face treats with the spray cheese and the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. But up until that, that moment in moment, the series, like... There were still... Yeah, there were people doing that. Yep, so. there were people. Well, there were people doing that in real life, nice. and nobody would bat an eyelash to see Marge doing it. Yeah. You know, that's just you know the Simpsons are a little bit like Leave It to Beaver. You know, because necessarily, you know, they're just sort of this um, stand-in. It becomes this really great like meta commentary on the Simpsons. You know that 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 really is what they are. And yeah, I wonder how uh, how much that was planned in the script, or you know how it just sort of rose organically. 
So you have with you a book called Camp yeah. that's a, a, like a encyclopedia of camp. Kind of, yeah, as, up to what well, was written in the 80s. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, I'm trying to find some good quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as I was telling you before, I'm like, clones are camp. Yes. Right, right. And there's a great example of that. Uh, so they call it macho, macho drag. So, you know, which is what it was in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally. I mean, you know, the whole village people aesthetic is a good example of that. And then in the steel mill with Roscoe and his friends, we get that sort of really ramped up. Um, and again, that's a code because Homer can't read it because he just sees what he thinks is masculine guys. What he reads as masculine guys, and to them, that's going to read as straight guys. <laughs> yeah, and right. Okay, and normal, or quote unquote normal. I really like the panic that he undergoes. You know, the the whole the homophobia is really real in him um, because he sees everything suddenly as potentially a trigger, you know, to make yeah, Bart gay. And he accuses Marge of being too effeminate around yes. the boy. Right, right, right. She's taking it to its the, Yeah, Most that is really, extreme. it's really, really great. <laughs> I think it's Ron Hoagie was the writer. I believe so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, of course, all of these scripts are room written, but he was the one who got um, the writing credit. Yeah, and the audio, co audio commentary. He said his original title one be Bart Goes to Camp. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I missed that. That's so great. Um, yeah, I mean, either title is totally great, totally funny. Um, yeah, and I mean, the scene of all of them hunting in the woods, it's Bart who says that it seems gay to him. Um, but that is, you know, in a way, even though Homer at that point doesn't comment on it, that's like sort of the crowning indignity for him that even this thing that's supposed to be as straight as possible, you know, like. And they're not good hunters. No, of course <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the style of hunting done by uh, these guys is. I've I've known hunters like this. <laughs> um, you just take a case of beer into the woods and you don't really shoot anything. Um, yeah, I mean, if he had gone into the woods with Superintendent Chalmers and the rich Texan, <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe that would have straightified him. But yeah, these guys know. Uh, and yeah, the and then I guess when they get to the reindeer, it's all men, male reindeers, like with the with the. Antlers. That's so right. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> Maybe they're gay reindeers. Aww. I don't see any lady reindeer here. And they're they're sort of beautiful reindeer. Too. Yeah. It's like, it's like killing a beautiful man. And uh, you know, John gets to be the total hero of the episode. You know, not only is he bearing all of this. Uh, really unfair discrimination um, and is very graceful in the face of it. Um, yeah, he's he is the one who saves the day with his unique campy <laughs> item like that. That is just that's a, a very cool part of the show. I took notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zoe is consulting her uh, little 
oh, I know notebook right in now. A, in the store Cockamamie's, they had those wooden saloon doors in like the back room. Like, I don't know if you had it in like video stores. Yes. I always had that one. Yep, yep. <laughs> I had that in my closet as a kid. I had those. That was I had a walk-in closet and had the wooden salon door, saloon door. There was like swing in and out. <laughs> yeah, those are so cool. I was trying to see if I could recognize any of the stuff on the shelves. I think had like a Fisher Price toy like looked familiar. And then there was that cat clock. Oh, and they had one of the old like payphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they had a Velvet Underground album on the wall. Really? Well, there was a banana. A banana, <laughs> on yeah. <my. laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, I didn't notice that. That's so cool. There must be a whole uh, subset of Simpsons fans that identify every single like item <laughs> album covers, you know, in the iconography of Simpsons. Oh, uh, yeah, when they're going on the CD tour of Springfield and all the the gossip about it. And he talks about Lupe, Lupe Velez. That's where Lupe Velez brought the toilet she drowned in. Which is kind of a shout out to ho- ho- Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon. Totally. Which again, another camp reference. Yeah. Yep. And right, like who better than the John of our <laughs> town, you know, to be able to dish all this. Dirt about Camp Brockman. I remember. can't remember who else. <laughs> <laughs> wonder what skeletons Kent has in his closet. They mentioned one. I forget what it was. I don't remember it either. I could go on Frankiac right now and, <laughs> and look at it, but I won't. Oh, I guess my other note about how ridiculous <laughs> straightening up the kids is. I think it was Mo saying, let's make Lisa into a man. <laughs> 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 They're kids. Who cares? <laughs> there is like a quite a strong um current in the show that crops up now and then of Bart's uh possible um heteroflexibility and and that really makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Yeah, I mean of course he's 10 so you know you shouldn't force any uh orientation on him yet but I mean, Homer is quite free with his sexuality, and, you know, he's frequently seen attracted to men. Um, you know, just because he he's attracted to life. He likes everything. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, for Bart to grow up to uh, be bisexual or gay or, you know, somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum would be... I think within his character, you know, it, it just it seems um, completely plausible to me as a fan of the show since the beginning. And uh, I think I like this episode, too, because it kind of brings that question to the fore a little bit uh, more than it, I mean, it was sort of a hidden thing before that. But it does bring it a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy <laughs> to think of that. <laughs> but uh, he is seen in drag frequently, and, you know. <laughs> uh, and he teaches Lisa how to walk in high heels too, which is great. Um, yeah. I'd, is there anything else that you feel? Um, 
I'm trying to think. <laughs> there's so oh, much. I guess, I mean, when we when we talk about this episode, there's like it opens up so many doors. <laughs> uh, I guess when John Waters was offered, he, one of the reasons he, you know, was cool with it and wanted to do it's like, well, it was if it's good enough for Elizabeth Taylor to get started. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Which I guess too, herself is can be pretty campy, especially in the. 60s, 70s, Richard Burton year. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I guess the last thing that I have to say that I can think of to say is that cactus candy is real. Um, And uh, (laughs) I've had some, but I only, it it was recently that I found out that it was a real thing. Somebody brought it to Simpsons Trivia and (laughs) offered it around. Perfect. Yeah, (laughs) because she knew that uh, people would get the joke. Uh, if she brought it to that place, and she didn't want any, <laughs> so. uh, but yeah, it is good. It's like you know how uh, cactus tacos are—it's sort of like a mild mm-hmm. flavor. Um, so it's that. It's that sort of like jelly, aloe vera mm. taste, sweetened a little bit. Yeah, and even John's like, "Oh, I'm not going to offer you any candy." When Homer's being a jerk, he's like, "No, you can have a piece. That's cruel." <laughs> Teensy piece. <laughs> Showing he's a you know a decent <laughs> decent guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. All through the show, he's a completely decent guy. And um I mean it just shows how like people who are marginalized in society often do have to be like much better citizens than people who have privilege. Um, it's a good illustration of that. And his whole monologue at the end, like, oh, good. Now you are treating me like a decent human being. And all I had to do was save your life. (laughs) I mean, it for mid nineties, that's a really groundbreaking statement. And I love that they did that on the Simpsons. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm out of discussion unless you have more top of my head (laughs) (laughs) well I'm so glad that we got a teensy piece of your perspective today (laughs) Um, you are listener Zoe and on the FMU message boards uh, the uh, uh, Accu playlists you are known as Sugar Wolf Um, I'm sure many listeners already know you but yeah either online or in person (laughs) (laughs) I'm super glad to get to introduce you to the rest of them or at least the ones that listen to this (laughs) little podcast um and yeah thank you so much too for adopting me last year oh my pleasure (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i'll uh i'll catch you on the playlist already bye bye Many, many, many giant thanks to listener Zoe for hanging out with me and talking about her favorite Simpsons episode. Please get in touch with me, any of you, if you have a topic that you would like to discuss. I'm completely open to uh, talking about The Simpsons at any time. I know that fact might shock you. Uh, listener Zoe would like to remind everybody or introduce the information to everybody that her uh, EA Sports login for playing Simpsons Tapped Out is Ms. Sugarwolf or MS Sugarwolf. 
So the letter M, the letter S, and then the word Sugar Wolf, all one word. And with that, I will sign off. My name is Amanda Nazario, and this is Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator. I will talk to you next week. Bye. Trying to get a nut to move your butt to the dance floor. So yo, what's up? Hands in the air. Come on, say yeah, everybody over.